Welcome to Live Well, Be Well with your host, Sarah Ann Macklin. If I can just ask one thing to my new or old listeners, please hit the subscribe button and also share this podcast with friends. It means more than you realise. There has been this kind of putting people on pedestals. It's not fair. It's not even, it's not democratic. It's very much kind of what's good for the platform. You said that you had this really iconic moment with Bjork. Yeah. And she made you believe in your own voice. Yeah, she she did. I think for two reasons she made me believe in my own voice. In today's episode of Live Well, Be Well, I interview British photographer, Rankin. I have been lucky to know Rankin from the very beginning of my career. And all these years later, I am the one with the lens on Rankin today. Rankin is like royalty in the photography world. He is not only one of the best known photographers and sought after portrait photographers around, he shot everyone from Kate Moss to Miley Cyrus to Madonna and to the Queen of England. But he's also made a name for himself in publishing by launching groundbreaking magazines such as Dazed and Confused, Another, Another Man and Hunger. Today, however, we delve a lot deeper than just photography. We explore the sacrifices Rankin has had to make, the worries and struggles and how he copes, with his increasing demand in the work-life balance and how everyone should get therapy. How long have we known each other, Sarah? I think I was 16. So 16 years ago? Yeah. Wow. And so professionally and personally, it's the first time I'm ever kind of really sitting down to talk to you about like, your mm-hmm. full life. And when I... Uh-oh. Obviously, wanted to, <laughs> when I wanted to bring you on, your response was obviously, I'm really up for it, but I don't feel that I have that much to talk about. And that really shocked me. Well, about wellness and well being, yeah, health and well being. I'm not really somebody that has a strong perspective on that because my wife is really into it. So, Everything that I know about it is via osmosis. Mm-hmm. She's trained in it. She's a yoga instructor. She's a nutritionist. She's a herbalist. She's incredibly fit, um, physical person. She eats well. She doesn't drink very much. She does everything the opposite of me. <laughs> um, has it not rubbed off on you in any way? I know it has. Of course it has. Yeah. yeah. It can't not rub off on you. I definitely became a vegetarian because of her mm. and I was researching it when she started to do nutrition. When did I'd, you become a vegetarian? It was 2017. Okay. Yeah, so she was doing nutrition and got really into it and again, for discussion and osmosis, I watched some documentaries and was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Plus, I wanted to be a vegetarian when I was 16 and then I was a vegetarian when I was 21. So... It was just a return to something that I'd wanted to do morally on a health basis. So viral osmosis is all I've got to say, really. However, Go you on. are really engaged with 
the BY Collective, the Mental Health Foundation. And you do a lot of work around mental health, supporting, showing awareness. So you, I do feel that you are engrossed in it, even though you might not obviously be an expert, you are very passionate and you are engrossed in it. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in people's well-being mm. because I think that I'm very lucky that I've been born, and I think I've been born with this, a thing where I can regenerate my personal f emotional state with sleep overnight and I can control any anxiety that I've got quite easily. I've taught myself very basic things, very, very easy things that keep me on a level playing field. Mm. I've got enough knowledge of anxiety and I've had it mm. to see where it can take someone and see what it can do to them, but I'm very blessed, if that's the right word, by not having problems for it. And I really believe when you don't have it, or you don't have those things, there's a balance of being able to create coping mechanisms for something that are really easy for you. Mm. So the people that don't get it easy, I just don't feel like it's been a fair roll of the dice, or whatever it is. Whether, whether that's being born in a European, Western culture where I've been born into a family that's been working class but they're not been really in need of anything my parents were never in need of anything from when I was born so like, I do a job I love I get paid really well for it I'm at an advantage to I would probably say 95% of the world mm -hmm. and to be in that 5 to 10% when my kid was born I realized that this nihilistic photographer that did a bit of fashion and drugs and love going out and suddenly I had a child and I realized very very quickly that in 10 years I didn't want my child mm. to think oh they're just a party guy who has got it easy and I think I was just born into a family where I was very lucky to have a moral compass really ingrained in me very early from a very working class set of parents and that meant that when it came to me having a child I was like oh you've got to give back you've got to create a balance between what you've been really really lucky to get in life whether born with it or learnt it and the people that haven't and whether that's mental health or poverty or anything oh I was sat actually in your penthouse right now yeah to give some listeners some context of where we are and um, I've actually never really been here in the day. That's <laughs> <laughs> always been. That sounds terrible. We wouldn't shoot up here normally. You'd shoot downstairs yeah. where your studio is, below where you live. Although you're not living here anymore. I live here sometimes. I'm trying to turn it into more of a space for working. And what I do has a social element to it. And that's why I have had, you know, quite well known for being somebody that used to do a lot of parties. I don't really do them anymore. We actually use it for shoots as well now, so... This is quite an iconic party house, I think. It is. Quite iconic. Well, I want to go back to the beginning, first of all. Because this isn't going great. It's going well. This is like, oh, God, he's a party animal that doesn't really look after his health. I knew, I kind of knew it was going to go this way. It's all going to turn. So I want to go back to the beginning, because you mentioned you feel like you have the special lucky gene. Yeah. And there's part of me that agrees with that, and there's part of me that kind of really wants to depict that, because... It wasn't always the easiest for you. People probably listened to this thinking that you had a really easy route in, but you didn't. You didn't come from a 
creative family per se who no. supported you from day one so there must have been a lot of and tell me if I'm wrong but like insecurities around that like going into a world which you weren't mm. around and that wasn't the norm yeah and you didn't grow up in London that is quite scary yeah. And you've got to have a lot of confidence to actually believe in yourself, even when your parents aren't. So your dad was an accountant, and that's what you went to go and study. He was kind of below an accountant. He was like a sales guy. So an accountant was a professional trained job, and he was he was more of a marketing sales. He was sales, essentially. Mm. So he was a hustler. Left school at 15, didn't get an education. So it was keen for me to get an education and was very supportive of me doing whatever I wanted to do but when it came to questioning why am I doing accountancy why am I even doing anything to do with business my parents knew that they helped create a child that was like that but they really wanted me to do something safe Mm. but I would never have questioned it if I hadn't been brought up by these two people that were so individual now I look back at it and I see it as a positive because I didn't have any negative influences. So Mm. nobody was saying to me, oh, don't try and be like David Bailey because he's a commercial photographer and he sold out. And now I see that that blank canvas gave me an incredible opportunity to fill it in myself Mm. and have my own opinions Mm -hmm. and not really be influenced by other people. And that, added to the confidence, gave me this kind of like, why not? And then, on top of that, I went to a college called the London College of Printing where the day I walked into that college, I was given a magazine that was made by the students and I was looking at it and the girl that had given it to me was the editor and I said, who made this magazine? She said, we did. And I, and I, and I was like, what? How can you, a student, make this thing? And that was that was it. That was like, oh, wow, you made it. And I chose photography because it's a solo thing. It was like, you have a camera, you control this technology, you can do it on your own. I was quite technically proficient. I understood science. And that flip of, I'm going to be on my own doing this, to we made this together was a light bulb, and a second light bulb moment. The first light bulb moment was when I held up a camera and looked through it and went, ooh, I can show the world what I see through this technology. And that's really exciting to me. And then the second one was, oh, I can get together with some other people and put my photos that I want the world to see into this thing that they'll look at. So I think those two things were like, big shifts in my place in the universe. You know, all those tiny moments. I always think it's tiny moments. Oh, for sure. I don't think it's one big thing. I always think Mm. that happened, then that happened. And when I say I've got a lucky gene, I think I create luck. I think you're curious. I'm curious and I create opportunities. Mm. So my favourite word is yes. My second favourite word is why. You know, they're two great words, you know. So if people go, can you do something? I go, yeah. I never go, what are the reasons not to do this? Mm-hmm. I go, what are the reasons to do it? Plus, I go, and why would you want to do it mm-hmm. like this or like that? So the questioning is going back to my childhood and my parents always encouraged me to question. My parents were brilliant about, 
don't put people on a pedestal, but don't talk down to them. It seems a bit trite when you say it on a podcast, but the scales of morality are there kind of within you. And, you know, of course, being part of the fashion industry and being part of that kind of pop, brick, cool, you know, you do lose yourselves in celebrity. You can't help but lose yourself because it is exciting. But my parents gave me two feet firmly sort of based on the ground and that's the gift that they gave me. I can definitely look at myself between probably 97 and 2001 and go, or 2003 and go, they're your worst years. <laughs> they're your most arrogant and worst years. But You call yourself arrogant in some interviews, actually. Yeah, I do, because I was arrogant. I was yeah. arrogant. And I think you were right when you first said to me, did you not doubt yourself? And of course, you've got imposter syndrome. Everybody who works in the creative world has imposter syndrome. Mm. I think most people in most businesses or, or, or whatever field you choose have imposter syndrome. Yeah. I don't have imposter syndrome anymore. I know I'm good at what I do. I don't worry but about that. I don't that. think that's arrogant. That's no, I think maybe the imposter syndrome in created this kind of arrogance. Right, this facade. Uh, uh, it was like a kind of, I need something to protect me. So mm. I, was, I was over... Mm. zealous I think my, one of my ex-girlfriends Katie Grant used to say you were a show off so in a group of people you would be showing off to protect yourself I'm so different and weird about the way I do things really? yeah I think so like somebody said to me the other day no one's got a studio and a gallery I'm like surely there's other people that do this <laughs> and it's I don't do you know what I mean I don't see it like oh, I've got a magazine and I've got a studio and I've got a gallery. I see it as this is so natural to me about the way that I want mm. to show my work and promote other people's work. The other thing is people don't realise, really, from the start, all we've done is promote other people's work. Jefferson and I have just given other people platforms again and again and again and again. What they think is, is all about making you famous or you being part of the scene or whatever. And actually... The reality is that we were all very much on the periphery. We were the kind of weird kids on the side kind of going, can we join in, please? You know, it's a bit like what, you know, talking about NFTs. I just, when everybody goes one way, I cannot help myself but go the other way. It's an instinctive survival thing for me. But for me, and we're going to come on to <laughs> NFTs very soon. That is another one of my questions. But for me, that's an entrepreneur. And that is something that you're not going down a traditional route that's set. You're exploring a new route. And I yeah. think, you know, you said to me in the beginning, well, you know, when I went to look at accountancy, that's not where my brain is. But there's a business side there. And you've basically married the two together to create a creative spark. But you've also got a full business. Yeah, I do. And I think... The other thing about that is that I've never really taken anything out of the business. For example, this flat is a reinvestment of a reinvestment of a reinvestment of a reinvestment. It's like people go, oh, you've got like an empire. I'm like, I haven't got an empire at all. I've got, you know, my thing that I do and I've reinvested a really famous photographer back in the day. He might have earned, I don't know, you could earn up to £150,000 for one shoot. And at that point, when you're doing five or six of those a season, you're earning a lot of money. Mm. At that point, those people possibly would have gone, I'm going to buy a house, or I'm going to buy a car, or I'm going to do this, this, and this. I never did that. I was like, I'm going to do a magazine. I'm going to do an exhibition. 
I'm going to do another book. So I was always reinvesting back into my business. And the only reason I ever made this apartment and the studio downstairs is because my parents passed away. They left me a bit of money and I took a massive risk. And I went, oh, I know what I'll do is I'll build a studio and make some flats on the top of it. And it really was, oh, I'm going to reinvest again. I'm not going to take it out. I'm going to reinvest again. So, yeah, it could be seen as entrepreneurial. Or it could be seen as really believing in yourself and passionate. being passionate and mm. being, I want to, is it more exciting for me to have a house in the Cotswolds or to have a new book? And for a good 30 years there, it was to have a new book. You know, the mortgage on this flat, now I'm getting to a point where it's a bit more affordable, was crazy. Mm. And But I just set myself up. Like, okay, well, I'm just going to go for it, you know, and I'm going to believe in myself and I'm going to work my ass off to pay for it. In fact, one of my friends who I saw the other day said, the worst thing you did was build this building because you became really boring when you did it. And I'm like, really? And they're like, yeah, because you just worked. You didn't stop working. And I was like, yeah, I had to, but pay. That brings you joy. I had to pay for it. <laughs> You've got a lot of stuff sitting here. I mean, you always have a lot of skulls around you, skeletons. I mean, the death of the flowers that I'm looking yeah. at, the project that you recently did, and I came to I did it in lockdown, a conversation yeah. around, what is it around, around death that you are and drawn my to? My parents died. It was the one thing where I felt incredibly vulnerable. I'd not been able to create any kind of way of dealing with it. Once I'd kind of got to a point where I could start thinking about it, which was five years later, I went, right, okay, I'm going to look into this thing and I'm going to really do a deep dive into it. And and it was good. It was really great to do that. It was it was probably the healthiest thing I could have done. When I read about when you started Days to Confused with Jeff back in 1991, yeah. you said that you had this really iconic moment with Bjork. Yeah. And she made you believe in your own voice. Yeah, she, she did. I think for two reasons she made me believe in my own voice. The first reason was she booked me. So she'd seen Days and Views in a, a shop called Sign of Times. That was a kind of validation. Mm. Like, she wants me to take a photo. And when I went to take a photo, I couldn't really have been more prepared. It was quite funny how many shots I did I think I must have done something like 30 setups with her in the whole day which is ridiculous and they're still some of my favorite pictures to you know till today are they yeah yeah Who's definitely your favorite person you've, you've shot because you've shot so I mean you've funny. shot from Spice Girls to the Queen to David Bowie like who's your favorite it's funny it's funny actually because just talking about that she she's actually one of my favorites and I never say she's one of my favourites. I think because she's a lot of photographers' favourites. Because she is so collaborative with you. I mean, I think I actually got her to the point where she was like, I think we've done enough now. And I was like, no, just one more. Just one more, like, please. I had a location vehicle. And I literally took her all around all the London spots that I'd, like, noticed that would be great for shots. Drove around loads of them. Then I took a Baptist St Albans where I was, I'd been brought up from 14, took to all the spots that I knew there, and then we drove back into London, I took it to a few more spots, and we literally, were, we'd be in the location vehicle 
we'd go, we'd stop, we'd jump out, we'd do a picture, we'd jump back in. And that's why we did so many, because we spent the whole day just driving all around uh, West London and then uh, Labyrinth Grove, obviously, and then up to North London and then up and around St Albans and then back down. And I kept just stopping, going, oh, there's a really great underpass here, let's go there. There's a really great bridge here, let's go there. And so I used all of my knowledge on that one shoot, but... She gave me that confidence, and I never talk about her actually. Mm. It's weird, I don't talk about my favorite people. There's too many, really. Well, you are one of the greatest photographers, but you said, I don't regard myself as a fashion photographer, and I do see you as so much more than that. I see you as a storyteller and a communicator, mm. but you always feel really uncomfortable when people describe you as a fashion photographer. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because you're so heavily involved in yes. the fashion industry. I think for me, I know what a very good fashion photographer is and I'm not that. And when people describe me as a fashion photographer, I think there's a reductive element to it for me because they're saying you're just a fashion photographer, which obviously I've never been just anything, Mm -hmm. never mind just a fashion photographer. So that's a reductive bit, but also I don't think I'm a very good fashion photographer. I think I'm a good photographer who does fashion, whereas the fashion photographers that are really good, the ones that are the top 20 in the world, Mm. I'm nowhere near them as photographers. So it's reductive because it's a way of belittling you as a a creative. You're just anything, but Mm. always, especially in news or in, in the media, fashion is this lower thing. And that's not because fashion is lower, it's because they like to create this, you think you're better than us, but you're not type Mm. thing. I remember I went to see um, Alexander Shulman with Robin Derrick, and I just was, it was a really hot day, and I just sweated the whole way through the meeting, and I never got another meeting with her, and I thought, there you go, if I'd been a bit healthier, I might have done better. But in a way, I kind of think my body was going, no. You know what I mean? Rejecting it. Rejecting it. And yeah. in a way, it was kind of going, you don't want this. Mm. You don't want to be part of the establishment. Mm. You you know, I'm from Scotland. But there was part of you that was in that hedonistic moment. Yeah. Sure. You were involved in that. Yeah, I was. Moments. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't because I was yeah. always pushing back. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was always fighting with the fashion editors about, they would always say, why do you always have to put like a purpose or a story into the story and I'm like well it's what you said to me earlier you make photos you don't take them yeah I mean there is a thing especially now that everybody has a camera where a lot of people think you just take pictures and there's a whole other way of thinking which is you make pictures and I'm very much a maker of pictures I don't just take pictures and it doesn't mean I don't respect takers of pictures I respect them but I don't do that I make Mm. them so yeah, this kind of like, especially in fashion, there was this thing where photographers could capture a mood and a moment. And, you know, I'd be like, yeah, cool. But it just doesn't feel weighty enough for me. And I think that that shallowness, I think it's style over substance and I'm substance over style. And that's the the way that I am is that yeah it's the scales (laughs) I love fashion photography I collect books I love photographers I'm seduced by it who's your favorite 
Probably uh, Nick Knight, I think, is incredible, but I love a concept. So yeah. Owen Blumenfeld, I think, is, is probably the most important fashion photographer of the 20th century and isn't really given the amount of respect and love that, that he should be given. And he's also a bit of a weird guy, but he was really conceptual. This episode is sponsored by Oto. Oto's premium range of wellness and sleep products harness the power of the most pure and potent CBD and plant extracts to rebalance the mind, body and skin. Not only do they look chic, but their two tinctures, the power and sleep drops, I personally love. They really help me feel grounded and calmer. In the morning to help steady my focus, I use the power drops, which contain a zesty orange flavour, cacao husk and vitamins C, D3 and E. I find mornings quite stressful. Without my morning rituals of exercise, breathwork and oto, having power drops in my morning helps me feel ready for whatever the day throws at me. If you also struggle switching off in the evenings like me and to go to sleep, do check out their sleep drops for a more peaceful night's sleep. They have light minty tastes, perfect just after you brush your teeth. Sleep, we know, is the foundation of a calmer and more focused mind, and I would advocate sleep is the route to your health success. They are also vegan, cruelty-free, natural, and made in the UK. Discover the power of CBD by shopping Oto with 20% off their website, otocbd.com, using the code LIVEWELL20 for 20% off. So we've got the social media element, which yeah. is coming up, which has, I think, taken a whole new spin on photography yeah. and fashion and even models yeah. on that side of things. And also I want to talk to you about the NFT movement because they're two different pieces of visual photography. And that's Sharp intake of NFT breath there, sorry. <laughs> the last time I spoke to Rankin about an NFT, he ran out the door. So let's start with the social media side of things because I found that really interesting as a model that now your social media relies so heavily on your identity, whereas before it wasn't like that going back 15 years ago. It's a, it was a, it's a very different industry I see it now, and I see that with photography, with photographers that are coming up. Yeah. What's your take on social media? Everything that's good about it is undermined by the way that the platforms have been set up and how they utilize our interaction to make money mm. so i tried to take a big thing and boil it and down. narrow it down but there's millions hundreds of things i could talk about and millions of things that are wrong with it so i've in fact just done a project called the unseen which is going to talk to you about this which is from a couple of people in the in the agency my agency oakland loot came up with this idea we've been working on doing a documentary about photography in the 21st century and how it's really become the medium that we all use to communicate through social media or actually just through messaging. And how everybody's now got their 15 minutes of fame or of being on a screen and everybody's a presenter, everybody's a dancer, everybody's whatever creative you can give people the access to be a creator, but it doesn't make, necessarily make them creative, mm -hmm. which I quite like as a phrase. The unseen is how algorithms essentially shut people down and censor them. 
and some of these people are doing really important things, or that's their business, and there's very little recourse if that's happened to you, because it's not set up as a social, socially equitable thing. Mm. It's set up as a business. And social equity comes from governance, democracy. Democracy's been demolished by it. You know, so doing those, chipping away at those things like the unseen, trying to give people a voice, trying to create an alternative platform, trying to pull the veil back behind some of the platforms, those types of things. We've all heard it before, but my thing is you've got to keep chipping away at stuff like that. And also, I don't want people to think when listening to this, like, oh, he's such an old curmudgeon about digital media. I'm not. I actually really love the ability to communicate we have, and I love the democratisation. You know, photography and filmmaking especially was very, very, very exclusive in who could access it and who could communicate with it. That's gone. That's incredible. But it's not even necessarily the kids that are using it or the people that are using it. It's the platforms that are presenting them and using them. And it's not even like there used to be a, a, a thought. Whereas if you're not the if you're not paying for it, you're you are the product, right? But it's not even that. You're creating the product. You're manufacturing the product. You're doing everything for them, and then they're taking the benefit of it and pretending it's for your good. And of course, any fraction of ability to have a voice to a wider audience, human beings are based on storytelling. We want to tell stories. We want to communicate. We want to be seen. That goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, Mm -hmm. which is why I guess the unseen is really interesting. It's like we want to be liked. That's a human instinct. It's a human thing. Mm -hmm. So to me to kind of shut down those voices on something that... And it's also based on a, a, a computer, not on an individual, is really outrageous. But on top of that, using this human need to your benefit and power and all of those things, it's just it's a very unbalanced economy or social economy. And... That I get very upset and frustrated by. But yeah, of course, there's loads of... Especially when you don't even own what's online. Exactly. And also, you know, how it is doing great things. I don't think the George Floyd moment and Black Lives Matter would have happened if it hadn't been filmed and it hadn't been seen and it hadn't been shared. And that movement and that social equity, it's really important. And it actually, you know, it gave me pause for thought as I'm sure it did millions of people, mm. to think, well, what, what is my role in this? It came up on my social media feed without you know, me knowing anything about it. And I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? And everything that happened to me for that week, following week, was just really fucking, like, the guilt I felt. Have I been part? Have I encouraged this? You know, things that are really important stuff. The death of somebody is, like, to see it in, in film is, is, is outrageous anyway, but it's extraordinary and so impactful uh, to everybody. But I guess what I'm saying is that made me really, really reset and rethink my whole way of being. And I thought oh, I was pretty right on dude. I thought, like, I've been doing all this stuff organically, after that, I was like, no, I need to change everything I'm doing and I've got to change the way 
we approach you know hiring people we need to change our approach to who's on set who's in front of the camera who's behind the camera there are good things that can come out of a bad thing mm. on these platforms but they're not as big as the bad things that they're all doing to society so you know we've seen it before with with print we've seen it before with radio we've seen it before with tv it's just a little bit less controllable and i think we're late to trying to sort it out mm. so that was, that was a big that was a big that was a big that was a big it's a big conversation because I think what you, everything you've said is really important and it is a much what I mean we could have a whole podcast on this yeah easy but there is also the other link with you know how does it affect you day to day do you go on social media day to day do you feel that it affects you and brings maybe more imposter syndrome is there anything really. that you feel triggered by not really no I mean I do get triggered I do, I do tend to curate who I follow a bit more and I don't tend to use certain platforms and I don't use Twitter I don't use Facebook at all I use photographic or film based platforms and I definitely curate stuff and I've taken apps off and put them back on take them off and tried to limit my time and but weirdly I've actually just become more bored of it than anything I quite enjoy it sometimes just for the for the ridiculousness of the humour I quite enjoy sometimes, but there has been this kind of putting people on pedestals or promoting people in a certain way that it's not fair, it's not even, it's not democratic, it's very much kind of what's good for the platform, not the individual. So, yes, that's triggered me. I've definitely been triggered by certain things where it becomes a defamation of character for somebody. In the real world, you could be sued for that stuff, or you can be racist or sexist or any of these things. How, how, how crazy is that? Like, in the real world, you would get arrested, but in this world, you, you can't, or it's very hard to. Somebody said to me once about Jordan Peterson, when I was talking about Jordan Peterson, they are guilty until proven innocent. And I said, I think you'll find that we've spent 2,000 years creating a structure where you're innocent until proven guilty. You, in one sentence, have just undermined that. Mm. That is what scares me. Mm. That's what scares me. Because no one should be guilty until proven innocent. That is an autocratic society's way of controlling people. Boom, that's, that's like emoji exploding head for me, you know. There it is. Because it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. That's, yeah. that's nuts talk. Mm. And this idea of the sovereignty of the individual, the deconstruction of society through wealth or wanting to be rich, you know, that's the problem I've got with the NFTs. It's not the, the idea of blockchains, the idea of digital art, love art I love all art art is amazing but it's not about art it's mm. about money and it's about control and is that the problem with your NFTs that you'll have that's with... my problem that's my problem my problem is this this search for wealth and people out there maybe listen to it go, but you are rich well I've not always been rich mm. I've been well off I've been okay I'm not in the 10% now 
wasn't in the ten percent when I was at, when I was at college. My parents definitely weren't in ten percent. But yeah, I have been very, very lucky and very privileged, and I do not take that lightly. But most of the people that are going for this wealth, they're already wealthy. <laughs> Sorry, guys, but it's the ten percent wanting to be the one percent. It's not the ninety percent. We're the mugs. The other the other ninety percent are the mugs. They're the ones they're going do this. And you could be part of the one percent or ten percent or whatever. Nah, 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 nah. You'll never. You're. It's a. It, it, it's the age-old pyramid scheme. The person at the top's always going to be the richest. The person at the bottom's always going to be the poorest. It's been going on for thousands of years. Mm. It's not going to change. And that's the mm. problem I've got with NFTs. I've got no problem with any artist doing it. I've got absolutely no problem with any doing it. I just don't want to be part of it. And again. It goes back to the original thing where people go left, I go right. People go right, I go left. I can't help myself. It's like an instinct inbred. I'm born with this instinct to be a contrarian, to be somebody that questions things. There's a really great expression for it in Scotland called thrawn, which is you basically got a chip on your shoulder about everything and you hate authority. Whether it's authority from the government or it's... Which I really believe in. I think there should be governance. Or it's authority from trends or fashions or whatever it is. I'm always going, really? Really? Are we sure this is a good idea? Are we sure this is a good idea? You know, I'd have been the person on the Titanic going, are you sure we should be going to that ice field? I just can't help myself but go, is this the right direction? And it's a gift, but it's also a little bit of a curse because it's a bit annoying, you know. I was talking to my therapist yesterday and we came up with a, a name for me. She said, you're a mentor, but you're trouble. So we can call you the trouble mentor. And I was like, yeah, that's a good that's a good expression because I will create trouble if brought into something. I'm the troublemaker, but I also want a mentor. So ther- therapy's been great at dealing with this stuff. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that because that's something that I opened up about on my episode, my personal yeah. episode. And I think it's something, I know, especially in the industry that we were in, I never really spoke about it, but then speaking about it publicly as well is, is, a, is another thing. What would you say about your journey to therapy? When did you start accessing therapy? I, I tried therapy in the mid-90s uh, in a relationship and it didn't work at all, it didn't stick. Um, I think because it was a bit of an accusatory, you should go to therapy sort of situation. I always tried anything once, um, which is another reason that I got into trouble with lots of things. But... When I really found myself being drawn to therapy was when I was talking to somebody that worked in my business called Andrew, who was my kind of managing director, ops person, and he was looking at after HR a bit, and he said, why are you getting so angry about birthday cakes? And why are you getting so frustrated with things that are all about your moral compass and he said, I think you should see somebody who's a business therapist. They deal with conflict therapy, those types of things. I think you should meet someone. I've got someone. And I was so ready to look at myself and try and work out why have I got a problem with these weird things that I met someone. And within three sessions, she was my, my lifeline. I was, I was like, this is brilliant. And she did a few things for me. She did, did a personality test on me. Are you an introvert, extrovert? I'm a 
um, creative practical. So I don't know what that on the introvert extrovert. I'm definitely an extrovert. Yeah, but I also see an introvert side in you. Yeah, I am a bit of an introvert. So, I, but I'm a creative practical, and she said that's quite an unusual. So normally you're creative dreamer. So, but I'm creative practical. So I find practical solutions to creativity. But the problem with that is that I'm very set in my moral code and I can't understand why other people aren't. So obviously you're all parts of the spectrum of creativity, whatever it mm. is. She says, once you've got something in your mind, you literally can't understand why somebody else doesn't think like that. So for somebody that empathises with people quite a lot, because I'm a portrait photographer, this bit was, the moral bit was like very set in stone. And she went, people are very different from you. And I went, what? People are different from me? You mean there's more than more there's more than one moral compass in the world? And she just basically showed me if I'm kind of north, I don't know, north east, she was like, southwest is your is your real problem. You know, like that person that's opposite you. And I was like, right, okay. And she described that person to me. I went, yeah, that's what such and such did. And it's a terrible way of looking at it. Like, you're on this, you know, basically a, a scale, kind of schedule thing or a, a compass. Mm. But actually, what's really interesting is you start to see it from other people's perspectives. And then when you do that, you're like, oh, right, okay. I, I am that person and they're that person. And then my, I got my wife to do it. I got Tuli to do it because mm. I was so into it. I went, Tuli, you should do this. And they do under stress and not under stress. And what was interesting is that under stress, I'm exactly the same as I am not under stress. And under stress, she's the exact opposite of me. So when we're not under stress, we're almost like perfect for each other. But under stress, she's the opposite of me. And of course, when, when, when we recognise that, so so now if she's under stress, I'd know exactly what to do. Like I can, I've got all the tools in my toolkit to. But at the same time, I do know the buttons to press as well. So, do you think that would have helped you in your previous relationship? Yeah, hundred percent. I wish I'd done it before. I wish yeah. I'd done it before. And I think maybe in my previous relationships, I wasn't ready. So you asked me. You asked me actually when, and I think it was 2016, 17 again, where I decided that. I was ready to face myself mm. and look at myself in the mirror. And I think I'd been doing it for a while, but get help to do it. What did you learn about yourself? But mainly that, really, mainly that I'd gone through life with this kind of idea that everybody had the same morality and the same approach to things. And, and it's quite strange. It's almost quite naive in a way. And I think there is a naivety to me that I've, I even now I'm like, oh, that I didn't really think in that way. It's quite child, childish, not childlike, childish, where I just go, oh, you go in one direction and, and I can't understand it. I literally go, the birthday cake thing at the time, this is where they really got me. I couldn't understand why one person would get given a birthday cake and a song and another person wouldn't. I was like, that's not fair. 
but what she was explaining to me, Kat, who was my therapist, she was like, you know, that person might not want a birthday cake and you, she might have talked to that person and they've said, oh, don't do that for me. And I'm not taking all that information in. I'm not getting all of that data because my data is closed. So my data is like that. And that when you, it's like wearing, you know... Blinkers. Blinkers. Mm. And suddenly your blinkers are off and you're like, oh, wow, that's interesting. So what I would have done in the past before that is have a, a devil's advocate in a conversation, just have an alternative view. But I would be doing it more mercurially than... I'm like, okay, well, I'm just getting the other perspective so I can try and win win the argument or whereas now I'm like I know there's more perspectives and then when you realize that there are more perspectives around the room then you start to value the perspectives in a different way so you want to hear everyone's perspective and then once you get so I would probably do that more organically before or mercurially like to get what I want Mm -hmm. whereas now I'm like no to get to the best intention or to the result or even the process of getting there it's much better if all the people in the room are allowed to be who they need to be. Mm. And then suddenly you're kind of going, oh, yeah, that's like the magic source. Like, no one else thinks like that. Like, why, you know, and people don't. It's, people find it really hard. I love being told no. I love being told I don't think you're right, being questioned. You know, all of that. Like, no, no, you don't think you should do that. I love that. I'm like, really? Okay, let's talk about that. Why? Why is that? What don't you like about it? Mm. Um, and what I've found since then is I'm really not attracted to people that are that are not un, that are not unblinkered. So if you're blinkered, I've got a real problem with you. And blinkered people are really attracted to me because they see this kind of quite assertive, confident, opinionated person who's not afraid to speak their mind. But what they don't realise is that I've got real belief in the whole team so Mm. when people say to me you know you shouldn't listen to what that person says that's my red flag I'm like that's that's not the way you do it nothing's black and white sorry Mm. nothing's black and white Mm. things should be debated and discussed and I and I'm drawn to things and people that do that and I'm really put off people that don't I'm really put off them. So what would you say to anyone who doesn't think they need therapy? I think everybody should have therapy. I think therapy is possibly the best thing I ever did. And I crave it. And even when I don't want to do it, sometimes you've got a day ahead. Like I did it the other day and I was like, I'm in a bad mood. I'm pissed off about stuff. I don't want to do this. And I got on the phone and I said, I'm really proud of myself today because I've not got angry Mm. about... A, something that should happen, and B, about being on the phone with you because I'm just going to talk it out. And she sees a different ranking. Every time she talks to me, there's a different ranking. Does she I, see John? Never, never. She sees, like, the, the 15 different rankings they are. I mean, I actually kind of think that I should do a session with her where I go, how many different me's have you seen? Because every time I go to her, it's, it's a completely different problem. I always call it notes. I'm going, that's such a good note. Thank you so much for that note. And I'm sure she's going, this isn't a perform. This isn't, you're not acting. (laughs) You're not, you know, uh, you're not like on a stage ranking. Uh, This isn't the film of ranking. Like I really believe in cognitive therapy as well. So I really believe in, just give me some result driven Mm. stuff because 
all of the trying to get to the hidden whys, I'm like, nah, not going to work with me at all. I could never go there. I do that in my dreams, I think, but I love the, the process of, have you thought about this? Why don't you try that? Look at it this way. What if you looked at it that way? You know, mm, yeah, reflective more, process. more, more, give me more. And that's why I think, in fact, I think I'll try and do that with the next time I do it, is say, how many different me's have you seen and get to kind of like talk about that because that would be really interesting. But as I said the other day, I was going, I didn't get angry. I didn't get frustrated. I was quite pragmatic about, and, and a little bit emotional, but not too That's emotional. Good. It's really good. Is good. And she's going, and anger can and be she good. Can be good, yeah. Right if, if you do it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. So she was going, great. So you, you know, you've controlled stuff and you should, you know, her big thing is, and you should be proud of that. And you're like, yeah, I should be proud, proud of that. So no, I was, we never congratulate. Obviously, ourselves. I love, I love it, and I think I'd do more as well if I had time to mm. do more. This is quite expensive, you know. So it is expensive. It is, but I think it's a really, if you can, if you can afford it. It's a good investment into your, into your own me house. time. Yeah, for sure. So, so leaving on that, I always ask the penultimate question, which after that, I'm quite interested to see what your answer is, but. Rankin, for you, what does live well, be well mean to you? I'm really sad to say I think it's about tomorrow for me and I'm putting a lot off and I shouldn't. But that doesn't mean that I don't aspire to it. And to aspire to it is, and I do some of it, is to get the balance right between what I am passionate about and what I know I have to work on to be a healthy human being. Mm. There you go. Scales. Scales. It's all about scales. Are you a Libra? I'm not. I'm a Taurus. Mm. That would have just been like, the perfect not, ending. Not those scales <laughs> over. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Taurus in a china shop. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank for you. Coming on. It's been so good. It's a pleasure. It's been fantastic. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. All the information covered in today's podcast with important links is in today's show notes. And if you haven't yet, please do hit the subscribe button and do share this with friends, family, co-workers, whoever you love, please share this podcast. It means more than you realize. And until next week, I hope you all live well and be well. If you love this podcast, I would really urge you to support us on Patreon. Our Patreon community really do help keep this podcast going. And alongside being within the community, you can also get exclusive access to early release podcasts and specific Q&As with me on topics that you want to hear. Being a Patreon member of this podcast does really help keep the support going because it's not easy to deliver this every week without you guys. So thank you so much. And if you haven't yet subscribed, please go to patreon forward slash live well, be well. Become a member and support this podcast. Thank you. 
Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.